You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Superb's building. You bet. She's up. Punches right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Style Sports on Converge Media. Uh, we are here in the home office today as the end of the month of August starts to roll around here. Uh, the Seahawks preseason is starting to get towards its end. The Mariners are red hot right now as they continue a 10-game road trip, which continues moving forward today, actually, later today, um, about an hour after this episode begins actually uh the storm season is getting towards its end the sounders have kicked back into the regular season but not in a good way uh the rain also are back into their regular season play and the seawolves have some news uh in their offseason as we get around the mlr draft uh and in some coaching news as well so we'll not waste any time and we'll get into the seahawks news here uh starting with their second game of the preseason august 19th versus the dallas cowboys a 22 to 14 win uh, you know, this game could largely be looked at as uh, some of the starters did get some action in this game. Geno Smith uh, started the offense. Um, started, where was I? Um, got the offense started, uh, took one drive, really didn't see a ton of action, but it was more to get some of that rust off. Uh, some other starters did get in the game as well, but not. Each one of them, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, were not present in this game, uh, even though they were in the stadium. This game was largely about the rookies on offense getting some big chunk plays and some younger players on the defensive side of the ball making some plays as well. So we'll get to offensive and defensive players for the game. I went with Jackson Smith and Jigba on the offensive side of the ball. Three receptions, 58 yards with a long of 48. Now, Obviously, a lot of his 58 yards come on that one catch there. Uh, but Jackson Smith and Jigba JSN really showed off some of that dynamic playmaking ability in this game uh, that really makes him so dangerous and really makes the prospect and the idea and the near future, knock on wood, um, of having DK, Tyler Lockett, and JSN all in the receiving core, such a dangerous proposition to have against opposing defenses. And then you add other things, whether it be, you know, we talked about Jake Bobo last year. I mean, last week, uh, Jake Bobo last week, uh, Matt Landers is somebody who's getting a lot of attention as well this preseason. Um, you know, and obviously you look at the tight end room with Will Disley and Noah Fant, Kobe Parkinson's size there, as well as a running back. So there's going to be a good, a, a great amount of talent in this, um, Seahawks offense that we might have probably not seen in quite some time in terms of just pure talent level. Uh, so it'll be really fun to watch all of that. But that's why I went with JSN here. There were a couple other names that I could have went, uh, could have selected. Drew Locke had a solid game here, didn't turn the ball over. Um, Zach Charbonnet had uh, a good rush average. Um, there were some good picks you could have gone with but just because of the idea and the potential of what jsn is going to bring to that receiving core i went with jsn so on the defensive side of the ball this one's kind of fun Tariq smith uh had a pretty solid 
game. There were some nice plays here. I talked about it in the beginning of the segment. Uh, Trey Brown was able to get an interception. Um, it was funny. He said that he was actually trying to get subbed off the field because he had a little bit of a, you know, a cramp. Um, and Dallas had gotten into the hurry up. So Tariq was uh, not Tariq. Looking, thinking about Tyreek Smith. Um, Trey Brown was like, well, I had to get off the field somehow, and he got the interception. So that certainly helps uh, his case there. Tyreek Smith is interesting. He was selected last year by the Seahawks um, in the 2022 draft. He was a fifth-round pick. He was placed on injury reserve back in uh, around this time, actually, August 30th of 2022. Um, so really wasn't able to go and help this team uh, produce pass rushing numbers in his first year. But he was an, another guy like Daryl Taylor that we were hoping um, out of the draft um, someone that Seattle could develop as a pass rusher. And he had a good game in this one. Eight total tackles, led the team, four solo, one sack, two tackles for loss, and one quarterback hit. So the one sack, the one quarterback hit, nice to get to the quarterback, but two tackles for loss. Any TFLs are good and productive. Uh, and then to be involved in a lot of those tackles means you're on the ball. And Pete Carroll and this coaching staff always talk about how important the ball um, is for this organization. So Tariq Smith, I mean, that's impressive. Again, uh, we talked about it last week with Levi Bell, but the Seahawks pass rush, pass rush, pass rush that will be able to help out this loaded secondary, uh, your veteran linebacker core, uh, if you're able to rush the passer and cause havoc, uh, it will make things easier for the other levels of the defense. So, you know, again, there's only so much stock you can take in some of these preseason games, but uh, similar to last week too, uh, this one, mainly, I look at more of the offense of the ball. Nice to get Charbonnet uh, some more touches and see him have some nice averages as well. Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of showing off what he's going to be able to do um, in this receiving core. And then Tyreek Smith, a guy like Tyreek Smith, the linebacker spot, being able to contribute, coming off the, you know, not really being able to make his mark last season. Uh, it's going to be important to see guys like this excuse me, step out, uh, guys like that can be the X factor, you know, uh, guys who I always like listing the um, inactives because who knows, maybe one of these inactive guys one week comes in and plays a big role the next week or he comes out and is able to really cement himself and earn himself a spot going forward. So uh, really nice to see that uh, from this team that should prove to have a lot of depth. And I believe the Seahawks are the uh, – third roster on a list of the most uh the team that has the most 25 or younger players so they're a young and talented team with a good amount of veteran leadership uh obviously with geno smith you know with bringing bobby wagner back uh with quandre Diggs, uh we're now with tyler lockett and dk metcalf so it is very interesting to see the kind of mix there but know that there's a lot of youth on this team that should help them be good and good for a long time hopefully we'll see uh in terms of injury related news the only thing we have here is a positive note on the 15th of august inside linebacker jordan brooks passed his physical and is now being uh being able to practice with the team he hasn't really been able to ramp up he did not participate in that preseason game that we just talked about game two uh but it's more about getting these guys back into football shape is what it was talked about p carroll the other day did say that all of the guys that were on the physically unable to perform list are healthy and are recovered. They're just trying to get them back into football shape and get them back uh, to where they feel comfortable putting them out on the field. 
as opposed to just fresh off of recovery um, and not really back into the football, you know? So um, we go over to some team-related notes here and some roster moves, uh, starting with the 17th of August. Uh, the team had a bunch of moves on the 17th, uh, signing cornerback Montre Braswell, Nose tackle Matthew Goddle, wide receiver Justin Marshall, who you see pictured on your screen, running back Wayne Tolapapa out of the University of Washington. Um, wave well, okay, those three first were the team that they uh, guys they had signed. They waived four different people that day: Wayne Tolapapa, uh, tight end Noah Gr- uh, Gindroff, waived uh, injured wide receiver Rashawn Henry. If he cleared waivers, he would be uh, reverted to the team's restricted list. Uh, it also released nose tackle Anthony. Montalvo on the 19th and 20th the 19th they signed Talapapa back uh, and on the 20th they released defensive end Jordan Ferguson and signed defensive end Demarcus Mitchell so again a lot of back and forth with a lot of these guys uh, getting better looks at them uh, with some guys like Talapapa maybe they they like what they've seen uh, but they want to bring a different guy into that 90-man roster at the current moment so they're like hey we're gonna bring it back uh, like they did two days later um, and just kind of keeping things active, keeping things fluid as they look at the bodies that they want, the players that they, you know, feel might be able to contribute, guys who might be diamonds in the rough. Um, and we've seen that sort of thing happen before. So anyway, the Seahawks sit at a 2-0 record in the preseason. Woohoo! Um, their next and final game, the final of three preseason games this season, is on the road after the first two ones against Minnesota and Dallas were at home at Lumen Field. August 26th at the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field is a 10 a.m. kickoff. Yes, a 10 a.m. kickoff for a preseason game. Kind of annoying. Uh, that game... Locally, if you are local, it will be on King 5. It is the last preseason game, as I mentioned, before the regular season opener uh, versus the Los Angeles Rams here at home uh, with a September 10th kickoff. So it'll be very interesting to see who is really able to take this last sort of opportunity that the team's going to have for game action to go out and make their mark, make the biggest impact, see who's able to put the final final touches on a good quality preseason and training camp and really solidify themselves as part of the eventual 53-man roster uh, when the cuts come down and the team has to go from 90 to 53. Um, and maybe we'll see some more veterans knock some rust off, but I imagine it's likely uh, kind of the same as how it's been. Uh, if anything, the veterans will get some early action and then it'll just all be the guys who are trying to prove themselves uh, and trying to make the roster who will come in next and take most of this Green Bay game. So we go over to the Mariners side of things and the Mariners are, I've talked about this for weeks. I've talked about this for weeks, uh, whether it was leading into the trade deadline or earlier in the season when they were struggling the success that the Seattle Mariners can and would eventually have this season. Oops. Here we go. Um, has to be internal. There's no trade that they're going to swing um, that won't cost them a ton that would help this lineup. There's no one bat that they could acquire that could help this lineup, turn things around. They have the pieces to be a good baseball team. It's just got to be internal. 
know, you look up all and down this lineup, there is power, there is hitting, uh, there is good talent up and down the lineup. We know how the pitching staff has been, whether it be the rotation, even despite the injuries um, in the bullpen, it was always about how the offense was going to perform. And that was a big question mark for a while. A lot of guys striking out a ton, poor approach at the plate, couldn't drive runners in. Uh, they've been good with the bases loaded all season long, despite what Twitter will tell you, um, at least statistically. Um, they just haven't been able to drive in runs and even and some days get hits. Uh, and it's been internal. Their success as of recently, since July began, it's been internal. They didn't bring in a ton of players outside of Dominic Canzone and Josh Rojas uh, coming in in the Paul Seawall trade. And that got a bunch of flack at first. I know I talked about it a few weeks ago. And those guys have been big contributors uh, as of recently as well. So I told you it had to be internal. I told you. Anyway, we're going to go in here to the first, um, well, the second series of this road trip. Um, wait, no, first series of the road trip. Yeah. August 14th at the Kansas City Royals, a 6-7 to seven loss to begin the four-game set. Uh, play the game center fielder Julio Rodriguez. You're going to want to remember that we're going to say the name Julio quite a bit um in today's segment so julio two hits one run four rbis that day the next day the mariners are able to bounce back it's still a close one they win that one 10 to 8 our play of the game first baseman ty france ty four hits one run and three rbis including a solo homer ty france has i believe it's just the one five hit game in his career and it came against the kansas city royals so ty loves to hit against kansas city and especially at kaufman stadium as well even though that five hit game was at lumen at lumen at t-mobile park august 16th at the royals to take the series lead a six to five win again another tight one this royals team has been good um his swing in the bat since july 28th and they've continued that they continue that especially in this mariners series um i'll play the game once again center fielder julio rodriguez julio threw four hits one run and two rbis on the day then julio put the bow on things on the series finale when the Mariners would complete the series win against the Royals August 17th uh, with a six to four win. Our play of the game, of course, Julio five hits, one run and five RBIs, including a go ahead three run homer in the eighth inning. He turned on a pitch high and inside uh, and gave the Mariners a lead after a few innings where they had really kind of looked abysmal at the plate uh, and were trailing. And it didn't seem like they'd be able to get that sort of rally that they needed. Julio did it himself um, and put the cap on a really impressive series. So, as I said, really impressive series for Julio there. Uh, the Mariners battle out a tough Royals team that they're going to have to see next homestand again. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to be in for some more thrilling games there. Uh, but again, the Royals have been discounted heavily because of their overall record. And I understand that, but since the end of July, uh, they've been swinging the bat. Well, Bobby Wood jr. Has been playing great. Uh, Michael Garcia plays well over at third base. Uh, they've got a few other pieces. Salvador Perez is a Mariners killer for some reason. Um, they've got a decent ball club and some decent pieces. And I'm sure going into the future, they do have, um, some things to look forward to, especially Bobby Witt Jr. But we move over here to the next series, a three-game set down in Houston, down at Minute Maid Park against the Astros. The Mariners would, as you can see it with the broom already, I'll, I'll address it in a second, but we'll go through the games. August 18th at the Astros to begin that one, a 2 to nothing win. Bryce Miller pitches 
excellent on a Friday in his home state of Texas in front of family and friends going six and a third innings. Uh, Center fielder Julio Rodriguez, though, is our player of the game. Four hits, one run, one RBI, including a solo homer. So he continues that hot streak, as I talked about, um, continues to keep things rolling. August 19th, to win the series, the Mariners blow out the Astros 10-3. to Our player of the game, it would be Julio. Julio did have a strong performance in this game, but Dylan Moore, two hits, two runs, three RBIs, and a walk for a multi-homer game. Had to Kind of had to go with that. I mean, really strong performance by Demo. Um, it has really been solid. Um, I believe it's it is since July first. Uh, after really struggling since being called up uh, back from that injury and not having a spring training, uh, and then so the Mariners, as you can see with the broom, they complete the sweep, a seven to six win on Sunday. It was a nail biter. The Mariners went out and jumped ahead first. They had two runs in each of the first three innings. Uh, Emerson Hancock was actually pitching pretty well, but he goes out with a lat injury, something that uh, he had dealt with last season, and the Mariners didn't want to mess with it. So he comes out after just two innings. Uh, Taylor Sarcedo, who has been reliable as all hell um, this season for Seattle, has a, a tough outing in this one, gives up five runs. Uh, but the bullpen is able to come back and get his back after Sarcedo has had the team's back before. Um, and the Mariners pull out with a win. Our player of the game, third baseman Eugenio Suarez, one hit, one run, two RBIs, and several defensive gems out on third base, continuing to make his case for a gold glove, including a two-run homer. Um, on the offensive side of the ball. Sorry, I was confused. I was like, why does that make any sense? Obviously, said his name a bunch, player of the week. It makes sense. We've got a lot of history to look at here with Julio as well. Over the past seven games, Julio, 21 hits, seven runs, 12 RBIs, one walk, six stolen bases, two homers, a 568, yes, a 568 batting average, a 579 on base percentage, an 838 slugging to amount to a 1.4. 1.17 OPS. This is where we get to the records and stats. So there's a lot to go over here. Julio becomes the fourth player in club history with 20 plus homers and 30 plus stolen bases in a single season. The first player in Mariners history with 20 plus homers in each of his first two major league seasons. He ties the club le- record, pardon me, with a hit in his in nine consecutive at bats. His he becomes the first player in major league history with 14 hits and five stolen bases in a four game span. Uh, he has the MLB record with 17 hits in four games. He tied the MLB record with four consecutive games of four-plus hits with a man named Milt Stock back in 1925. Uh, he tied for the second-most hits in a five-game span since at least 1901 behind only Jimmy Johnston, who had 19 in 1923. So Julio... Julio, uh, historic <laughs> by many, many means in this one. And I don't, I don't want to hit the ceiling, but got a broom here. So we'll just, we'll just get rid of Houston over there uh, and sweep them aside. I know that a lot of Houston fans, I do have some rubbish here. It'd be really nice if it was just a bunch of Astros logos. Look at that. Brilliant. Um, to get that sweep was big. Not only, you know, you continued to hold your spot in that third American League wild card, uh, you're also gaining more ground towards the top of the division, let alone Houston. 
Um, you're right on Houston's tail right now. We'll get the exact number here. You're right on Houston's tail after that sweep against the Astros. The Astros actually held a team meeting after this game uh, where they got swept. Martin Maldonado and a few other players spoke. Uh, they called the sweep a slap in the face. So that was fun. You know, after all these years of Houston dominating, it, it feels good. So, you, you know, um, but the Mariners are playing good baseball right now. You look up and down the lineup. It's it's obviously Julio had a really strong performance, but there are a lot of players who are coming in and chipping in. Jose Caballero has had his moments. Uh, he's had his bad moments as well, including a couple errors in the first game that had things a little scary. Um, yeah, the Mariners are only a half game back of the Astros for second in the West, uh, only three games back of the Rangers for first in the West. So, Knock on wood. Um, they're playing good team baseball. Uh, they got JP Crawford back today in a roster move that we'll go over here in a second. Um, there are some injuries to note, but they're playing good team baseball and it's coming internally. I said this throughout the course of the year after they didn't start the season off, how people might have thought they would. It's got to come internal for the Mariners. They've got the talent to do so. And they've been doing so. So it's very important that these guys are clicking right now. And there are even some guys that could be playing better. You know, and I talk about returns. JP Crawford's going to come back into this lineup. Um, and Jared Kalnick is on track for an early September return. So these are very positive things. And it's very exciting to look at um, for this Mariners team because of what people had hoped they'd accomplish at the beginning of the season. And because of how slow things were, not only for several individuals on this team, but this team as a whole. So um, we'll get over here towards uh, team news and roster moves. Uh, we'll go in order. I talked about some stuff happening today, but we'll go in order. August 16th, uh, the team placed catcher Tom Murphy on the 10-day injured list with a left thumb sprain, which is retroactive to August 14th. So tough to lose Tom after he's been hitting really well. Uh, in the last few weeks um, to that thumb injury. I haven't heard anything that's saying that he won't be able to come back after those 10 days. So we will see about that. And as a corresponding move, the team selected catcher Brian O'Keefe from AAA Tacoma. Uh, Brian O'Keefe actually had a big base knock, uh, drove in a couple runs uh, during this. I believe it was during the 10 to three win. I believe it was um, August 17th. The team optioned right-handed pitcher Ryder Ryan to Tacoma. And as a result called up Edward Bazardo, who was a trade deadline acquisition the, uh, the day of the trade deadline. Um, and they called him from AAA Tacoma. He's got some good stuff. It's just about controlling it, which you could say that about a lot of people. Uh, but obviously with the reputation of the Mariners organization, you know, and their pitching factory, so to say, uh, some hope there that he can turn that thing around. Uh, he is still with the team as of this current moment. So it'll be interesting to see how long he stays up uh, and if he stays up. Other corresponding moves. Today, the 21st, the Mariners activated J.P. Crawford um, from the seven-day injured list. He is with the team in Chicago uh, and might play tonight when they begin their series. He did have a rehab assignment against the Aqua Sox two days ago. Uh, he went over three, a couple of flyouts and a ground out. Uh, yes. Um, and was taken off as a defensive substitution in the sixth inning. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm sure the Mariners felt like he was ready. So they're like, hey, we'll get you out of here. Um, 
the team uh, recalled right-handed pitcher Darren McCacken from AAA Tacoma. Um, option infielder slash outfielder Sam Haggerty to AAA Tacoma um, and placed right-handed pitcher Emerson Hancock on the, I believe it was the 15-day. Let me double-check this. Uh, they placed him on the injured list with <coughs> excuse me, a right lat strain, which is something, again, I talked about that he had delayed the beginning of his season last year, so it's not something to mess with. I'm sure the Mariners want to have that taken care of. Um, it was talked about having a six-man rotation uh, when the team got to Chicago uh, because Brian Wu should be activated here pretty soon. But um, with Hancock going down and unsure how long that'll take, that six-man rotation will obviously have to wait um, for the Mariners there, which is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, yes, right shoulder strain. Okay, wanted to make sure that I got that right. So I believe once we get that loaded up here. Come on, baby. I apologize. Um, that should be it for all things Mariners related. You know, they, they've got, we looked at it last week and we talked about this being a fortunate schedule that you had to take advantage of. And it still is. I mean, the, the you should be able to beat the Royals with how bad their starting pitching has been. Um, they do have weak spots in their lineup. They do have some quality in their lineup as well. But with good to see them get the series win, it would have been nice to get the four game sweep, obviously, but they weren't able to do so. Um, the White Sox, the White Sox have struggled all season long, and uh, they're kind of in the slumps of things. Uh, um, the Astro series was big, so to get a sweep out of that was huge. I don't know how many people would have expected that. Um, then, so yeah, the Royals come back, uh, and the Mariners will have to play them in the next homestand, and then they will host uh, the Oakland Athletics. And we all know about the struggles of the Athletics this season. So, oh, it will be. Oh, I apologize, having some technical difficulties there. It'll be quite interesting to see how the Mariners will be able to finish out the month of August as we head into the month of September. Um, when it gets into crunch time, after this upcoming homestand where they host the Royals and the Athletics, they have a road trip that's not going to be easy. You know, they'll have to go out and play the Mets to begin that road trip. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the Mets have been one of those teams who have disappointed as well. But then they play the Reds, who have a ton of talent, a ton of young talent, including calling up um, former Mariners prospect Novi Marte uh, just a few days ago. So, uh, got to get through this fortunate stretch. Got to be able to put yourself in a good position. You have the division in sight, which is crazy to think about after the struggles you had. And it seemed like Texas was just going to run away with it. So, you have the opportunity to take care um, of your own situation and you need to do that. You need to be able to control your destiny. You've got that in your hands. That was something that last year's team struggled with. They, you know, probably could have had a higher wildcard spot, but they struggled. There were some games against the Diamondbacks last year that they struggled with. So you, you've got an opportunity. You've got, um, an opportunity to shock some people 
and keep things rolling. So anyway, we'll get to it. Uh, the next series, the upcoming games for the Mariners, as they have a 69 and 55 record sitting at third in the American League West, three games behind the Rangers for the top of the division, a half game back from the Astros for second in the division and sitting a half a game up from the Toronto Blue Jays for that third and final American League wildcard spot. Their next games, August 21st, excuse me, through 23rd at the Chicago White Sox. The first two games, August 21st and 22nd, are uh, 5-10 Pacific time starts. And then the third and final game of that series is an 11-10 a.m. start on August 23rd. <clears throat> after that, they'll have a day off after that game on the 23rd to get back to Seattle. We'll have to begin a seven-game homestand that starts with a uh, three-game series. Wait. Oop. Uh, we'll just say it. Begin the homestand uh, with a series against the Kansas City Royals August 25th. First, the Royals is a 7-10 start on Friday. That's on Apple TV+. Plus. I repeat, that's on Apple TV+. Plus. A lot of people were surprised to find out that Sunday's game against the Astros was on Peacock, uh, and only Peacock. Um, so a programming note that Friday's game on the 25th versus the Royals is on Apple TV+. Plus. So if you're in the area and you don't have it, I just advise you to go to the game instead um, if you don't want to pay for Apple. Um, and then August 26th versus the Royals on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, the 26th and the 27th are both 1.10 p.m. Pacific time starts. Uh, so a note there. And then the 26th game is on ESPN+. Plus. I'm going to double check here to see if it's on both ESPN+, Plus and Root Sports. Um, 26. Yeah, it is on Root Sports as well, but it's also on ESPN+. Plus. So something to take note of there. Um and then August 27th, as I mentioned, a one ten start as well as the Mariners look to close out that series against the Royals with another serious win and keep things rolling. <coughs> Excuse me. So we go over here to the Storm, who were in single digits now um, in terms of how many games are left in the WNBA regular season for the Storm. There's a very, very minuscule chance that the storm uh, could make the playoffs still. I think that was out of question for a while, uh, maybe even before the all-star break, but I, I digress. Uh, two games over the past week for the storm, both of them against the same opponent, the Minnesota Lynx, uh, August 18th versus the Lynx here at home at climate pledge arena, a 70 to 78 loss with our photo of the game here by Brian Saldana as Jewel Lloyd tries to get uh, to the basket kind of struggled with the efficiency in this one at home uh, as the Lynx jerseys were pretty nice in this one. I kind of like those. Um, but our play of the game is not Jewel Lloyd. It is another guard, Sammy Whitcomb. Sammy, 23 points, one rebound, three assists, and one block in this game. Uh, also in this game with her second three-pointer of the night, she hit 1,500 career points with 78% of those points coming in a Storm uniform. Um, I believe... 78. Uh, so they lose this one. A lot of things that the storm could have corrected. Uh, they did a lot of good things, but they didn't do enough good things to get the win over Minnesota. Uh, they got within seven, but that was the closest that they would get late. Uh, they would get a day off to travel to Minnesota uh, to begin a three game road trip before um, they come back. Anyway, um, and they would correct those things and get a win in Minnesota at the Target Center, an 88-74 to 74 win. Our player of the game guard, Jewel Lloyd, 31 points, five rebounds, four assists, one steal, and one block. 
uh, Jewel kind of back to herself this game. She made some history as well, Jewel Lloyd. Um, this one, there was actually a lot of history uh, and milestones and things of that nature in these storms that here. Uh, I apologize. We're having some technical difficulties, which is never good. Um, get over there, though. <laughs> yeah, a lot of history for Jewel in this game uh, as she kind of got back to the torrid pace that she's been on for most of the season. Uh, some history for Kia Nurse, some history for Dosifenka Menjiadu. So uh, I believe, though, the first one, yes. So Kia Nurse's first. Oh, wait, there's an Ezzy one, too. Okay. Ezzy Magbagor recorded her second assist of the night in that first quarter, giving her 150 in her career. Nearly half of those um, this season. Oh, wow. She has nearly half of those this season with a career high 74 assists this year. Oh, well, okay. Um, Kia Nurse's three pointer at the end of the first quarter uh, gave her 1,500 points in her career. She becomes the 186th player in WNBA history to score 1,500 or more career points and the 17th player out of UConn to do so. Jewel Lloyd uh, with a three pointer to give her 11 points on the night uh, and 702 on the year. Um, she became the 13th player in WNBA history to score 700 plus points in a season and only the third storm player to do so behind Brianna Stewart, who did so in 2018 and 2022. <coughs> Excuse me. And Lauren Jackson, who did so in 2007. Jewel Lloyd had a block on a breakaway attempt to give her 71 career blocks, moving her into the top 10 list on the storm's all time list. Uh, only one behind Sue Bird for ninth. Uh, Dulce Fenka Mangiado pulled down her 10th rebound of the game. Uh, she ended up with 15 on the game, marking her fourth game this season with 10 plus boards. Uh, she's on the only, she's only the fourth storm rookie to record four plus games with 10 plus rebounds, joining Brianna Stewart, Lauren Jackson, and current teammate Jordan Horston. Uh, Jewel Lloyd with her fourth three point of the game gave her 26 points. Uh, it was her league-leading 14th game of the season with 25-plus points. Jewel Lloyd hit another three-pointer to give her 31 in the game. It was her league-leading 10th 30-plus game of the season. Uh, no one has more than five of such games, which is pretty remarkable to think about. Um, she's the fourth player in WNBA history to score 30-plus in 10-plus games in one season, joining Maya Moore, uh, Deanna Tarasi, Tina Charles, uh, yes, and Tina Charles. Mm -mm -mm. It is just the fifth time in WNBA history that a player has scored 700 plus points through the first 30 games of their season. Joining Deanna Taurasi, who did so in 2006 and 2008, Maya Moore in 2014, and Lauren Jackson back in 2007. So a lot of history there for Jewel. And while I talked about Jewel for a lot, I went with Sammy Woodcomb as my player of the week. Uh, over the past two games, Sammy 16.5 points per game, one rebound per game. 1.5 assists per game and one block per game. Sammy has really sort of stood out um, as a key contributor, especially since she began um, to get the start as the point guard for this team uh, as the second half has rolled on. And, you know, she's not the traditional distribute the ball a very, very well sort of player but her offensive ability helps open up the offense just a little bit more, gives Seattle another scorer on the floor with their starting lineup uh, to help out Drew Lloyd a bit, whether that be actually hitting buckets um, or giving them more spacing. So it's been impressive to see that. You know, I, I was wondering about, I was wondering what sort of impact that Sammy would have when the team signed her in the offseason. Um, and I didn't really expect her to get 
extended periods of time as the point guard, let alone start as a point guard. Uh, but it's been impressive. It's been impressive to watch, and it's certainly helping the team out. Oh, boy. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, so the injury report uh, for the past two games, both of them still Gabby Williams out with her left foot injury. Not too much changing uh, there, unfortunately. Would like to see Gabby get back, but unfortunate, unfortunately, obviously, she's likely done for the season. Uh, Seattle probably not getting her back there. So Seattle sits at a 10-win, 22-loss record. Um Oops, okay. I was going to click the links thing again. I was like, I don't think they play them again. Uh, they sit at 10th in the Western Con- in the entirety of the WNBA, 5th in the Western Conference. Looking ahead, their next two games are on the road, starting with August 22nd at the Chicago Sky, which is a 5 p.m. Pacific time start time. If you are in the state of Washington, you can watch on Amazon Prime Video or Fox 13 Plus. August 24th, at the Indiana Fever is a 4 p.m. start. That one is on Amazon Prime Video if you are in the state of Washington. Um, so closing some things out there, Seattle will look to avenge a loss to the Fever uh, from the last time those teams played. Um, and then August 27th to round out, uh, to, we'll just start a homestand there after rounding out that road trip against the Fever. Um, Seattle will play Chicago once again, the second time in three games, uh, at home, at Climate Pledge Arena with a 3 p.m. Pacific time start. Uh, that will be on Amazon Prime Video and Fox 13 Plus. So um, I believe also that this game here against the Fever, uh, if you go to the Fever Facebook account, uh, they'll be streaming that live if I read their schedule uh, listing correctly, which is kind of interesting. Uh, one of these games will also be on Twitter as well. Uh, it's still listed as Twitter on the WNBA website. So that's nice to see. I'm not going to call it the other thing. Um, so there's more than a few ways to watch these games. I think we'll try to uh, have that under our game day posts when we say that where to watch these because we have it listed on the game day graphic, but there are more than a few ways to watch um, some of these games. So <clears throat> Now switch over to our Sounders and... Uh, oof, yeah, no. So the last time we talked about the Sounders... Uh, it was frustrating because the club had just been bounced um, from the League's Cup and Monterey had kind of dashed any hopes after Seattle started out really hot. And I thought maybe that the time off, the 21 days, I believe it was, between matches would be enough for Seattle uh, to get some creativity back, get some time off, get their minds fresh, um, <laughs> and to be able to reset and just get back into things, get back into how they looked in the early part of the season when they were building their lead atop the Western Conference, when they were smashing things, when Leo True and Jordan Morris were connecting, um, when they were getting a clean sheet nearly every game. No. No, it was not the case. Uh, the Storm, sorry, the Sounders would lose this one by a two-goal differential, failing to get on the scoreboard. Our player of the match, midfielder Jao Paulo. Jao Paulo was the highest rated Sounders player of the game, the 7.1 match rating in 68 minutes of play with 883 passing percentage um, and two chances created, even though the Sounders were only listed with having one chance created, one major chance, uh, and missing it. This game, uh, in the photo here by Brian Saldana, a photo of the game, kind of just summarizes, this, uh, summarizes the feeling of, of a lot of people in Lumen Field as Freddie Montero sits here. Um, after a near chance 
it just, you know, there's not a lot of creativity uh, with the Sounders team right now. There's not a lot of cohesion. It doesn't look very, um, they don't look like they're clicking. Uh, they had some chances in the second half. They did look better than they had in the first half when things were pretty ugly. Uh, it was pretty mundane. But things kicked up a little bit, but not not enough. And it was, you know, the, the saying, too little, too late. Um, not only was it too late, but it was just too little as well. Like, even what they had produced was too, not enough. Um, I mean, it's hard to say with this team right now. There's got to be some change uh, at this point. I don't know why you continue to put out somewhat similar lineups. I know they've changed, and uh, I believe it was the first time they'd seen that certain lineup last night. But there's some guys who are starting who maybe shouldn't be starting. You know, you maybe inject some life, some players who haven't been able to get that starting minutes or major minutes at all uh, and give them an opportunity to go out and prove themselves and earn more time and maybe earn more money. You know, there are some players, uh, quite a few players here whose contracts end at the end of the season. um, And they should arguably be playing a lot better if they want to earn another contract or a better contract. when the offseason comes around, Ebert's uh, contract is up. Javier Arriaga's contract is up. Uh, both Cleveland and Fry, both Stephs, their contracts are up. Nico Ladero, Freddie Montero, Kellen Rowe, Albert Resnack, all of those players, uh, their, their contracts are going to be up. So it's going to be, uh, well, Fry, Ladero, Montero, and Rowe all out of contract. Ebert, Javier, Steph Cleveland, and Resnack all have options, but it's a Big offseason for the Sounders. Uh, you know, it's going to be the 50th anniversary of the club. Long Acres is going to open. They've got an, they're going to reveal the new crest. Um, it's a really pivotal time. I know Craig Weibel, uh, the general manager of the Sounders, has said that they've made the moves that they have uh, to be strategic and to play out in the long term. Uh, but obviously right now when you're trying to make the playoffs, you're not worried about the long term. A lot of people aren't worried about that. I'm not. I mean, it's been hard to watch this team put together dud after dud week after week. They haven't really been the same team since they got drubbed 4-1 to one in Portland on uh, April 15th uh, after taking the lead in that game late. So it's, uh, it's really frustrating because they've been in a funk. They haven't scored more than two goals in a match. Um, they've only done so twice. Uh, since April fifteenth, so and I, it's 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 becoming a watch of a season so far. There were some boos at the end of the match. Uh, a lot of people had already left before the last uh, whistle had blown. So there's got to be some accountability after the second goal that Atlanta scored. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the players, as they waited for the the game to reset, just had their hands on their hips and were looking into the sky. It's like, hey. <laughs> this is nobody to blame but yourself for a lot of this, you know? So yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough right now. And there has to be some accountability. They still have some time to, to remain in a playoff spot. Um, they are still somehow some miraculous way in fourth place in the Western conference, which is a playoff spot, but um, it, it, it doesn't, you know, it's hard to imagine that, even if they make the playoffs that they're going to go farther than the first round. So um, the injury report versus Atlanta, Kellen Rowe 
was out with a right quad strain and Dylan Tevis was out with a left hamstring strain. Stephen Fry was questionable, but did play in this match. He became the Sounders all-time leader in appearances, um, taking over for Asvaldo Alonso. And Christian Rolando was questionable with concussion protocol. He wasn't listed technically as in protocol when the match came around, but he was not available for selection um, against Atlanta. So tough to see all this as well when you've got one of your best players out. So the Sounders sit at a 10 win, 9 loss, 6 draw record at 36 points in the table. Uh, 11th in the entirety of the league. 4th in the Western Conference by some miracle. Um, looking ahead, their next match, as you can see on your screen, August 26th at Minnesota United FC with a 1.30 p.m. Pacific time kick. Uh, Seattle has had strong fortune against the Loons in recent memory. Uh, but with the way that their performance has gone as of late and the way that they have played as of late, uh, not even just as late, uh, for most of the season, it's hard to imagine that that sort of strong push continues um, for the Sounders here. So we go over here to our OL Rain, and unfortunately, the Rain weren't able to pick up the slack where the Sounders do, even though that's the case most of the time. Uh, the Rain would get back into regular season play um, with a match on August 18th at the Kansas City Current at Children's Mercy Park. They would lose that one, one to nothing. Uh, the Rain did have a penalty chance late into this match, but Jordan Heidema had her attempt saved by AD Franch. Um, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. The Rain really weren't able to generate too much. Um, our player of the match, defender Lou Barnes. Lou, one shot, three chances created, one block, one clearance, three interceptions, and seven recoveries on the match. Um, I can't necessarily say that the defense played particularly poor. Um, and kind of similar to how I talked about in the Mariners segment with the Royals. Um, while... Uh, what was I trying to say? Well, Kansas City sits now. They they were at the bottom of the league table before this match, but with the win, they moved into 10th place. Um, well, they've struggled. They still have a lot of talent on the team. They've been banged up injury-wise. Um, and I wouldn't say that, they're, that that record is indicative of how they're playing right now. So um, this is a tough one. You know, would like to see more chances generated. Uh, but even through the Challenge Cup, they've not been able to generate a lot of chances without their U.S. and international players as a whole. Uh, they have had the Canada players and Jordan Heidema and Quinn available. Angelina was able to get back into this game for the first time since, I believe it was June of last year, which was great to see Angelina get into action um, from Brazil. So... But the U.S. players, now Laura Harvey did say that the U.S. players were back in the market uh, and that if this game had taken place a day later, that we would have seen the American uh, players. But that wasn't the case, obviously. So we'll likely see them next match. I'm unsure if there's any sort of minutes restrictions for any of them at this current point in time. It wouldn't be crazy to me if that were the case. Um, but uh, overall, just Glad to see uh, that they're back in market. So uh, the injury report for this match at Kansas City, midfielder Jess Fishlock was out with a leg injury. She still remains out with a leg injury. Nobody was questionable and nobody was with international duty. As I mentioned, U.S. players are back in market. It'll just be interesting to see if anybody has minutes restrictions uh, and who jumps into the starting lineup immediately. So, also haven't gotten any word about the national team replacement players. Um, 
usually when the international players come back, they make the announcement about the national team replacement players. And we have not gotten that yet as of today, Monday. So we'll see. But the Reigns sit at a seven win, six loss, three draw record. Uh, looking ahead, their next match is next week. Um, they're still a little bit away from uh, their playoff semifinal in the Challenge Cup. Um, but, you know, seven wins, six losses, three draws in the regular season. Fifth in the league table now at 24 points. Next match against Angel City, August 27th at Angel City with a 5 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. The rain will look to get back into the swing of things uh, earlier in the season after the loss to Gotham, that ugly, uh, really disappointing loss to Gotham. Um, they were able to get a rebound win against Angel City. Uh, and the rain, knock on wood, have been successful against both California expansion teams uh, to date. So they're going to be looking to keep that up. And again, it will be very interesting to note, especially with them back on the West Coast, to see uh, which U.S. players will will start and if anybody will have any minutes restrictions, there is training tomorrow. So we might see about that. Um, oh. <laughs> Moving over to our Seawolves section here. We do finally have Seawolves related news after it had been their off season for a bit. Uh, there was news about Devin Short. Um, so we're kind of picking things up here as the offseason off continues to roll along. Before we get to the MLR draft, uh, we have coach-related news. So on the 15th, the team announced that Martin Gleason joined as a senior coach. Um, looking into Gleason here, he was the former England attack coach. Uh, he was joining the Seals as a senior coach responsible for a team attack and the back line unit. Gleason arrived with... <coughs> excuse me. Plenty of experience having begun his coaching career at rugby league club Salford following retirement in 2014. Prior to him taking on that role, he enjoyed a notable career as a player where he received international recognition for both Great Britain and England as a center. Uh, Gleason had to say this about being appointed. I am really excited to join the Seattle Seawolves and to work with the players, Clarkie, and the whole management team. This is a great opportunity to broaden and enhance my coaching development with Clarkie. I can't wait to get out there, work hard, and add to the way the team plays rugby. Since its 2018 debut, Major League Rugby has grown to 13 teams by 2023, uh, drawing international and premier coaches, securing media and sponsorship deals, and highlighting the potential of U.S. rugby. Um, with forthcoming World Cups uh, and opportunities for global partnerships, the future is bright. So they obviously view this as something really big. Um, hmm. Yeah, really big uh, for the entirety of the future um, of growing the game of rugby here in the United States. Yeah, with with the World Cups um, and continued international exposure, this should be bigger for the league. Uh, Alan Clarkey Clark, the director of rugby and the team's head coach, had this to say about Gleason. Our attack has improved progressively over the last two seasons. However, I'm excited to see the impact of the impact Gleese will have on our collective team attack and individual skill sets. I've been impressed with the balance he shows reconnecting his enthusiasm and creativity with his eye for detail and the need to do basics well. It's obvious why world-class players he's coached with both England and Wasps think of him so highly. I'm delighted to welcome Gleese, his wife Sophie, and son Se to the Seawolves family. So, seems like uh, some positive notes about Martin Gleason there and with the talent that the Seawolves have uh, and just the championship pedigree that the organization has it should be exciting to see what he's able to bring to this organization um, and then on the 17th the team made their 
uh, first and only selection in this year's MLR draft in the second round uh, with pick number 11. They selected Scott Bowers out of Trinity Western University, born in Port Coquitlam, British British Columbia. Sorry, I don't know why I said it like that. Setting at 5'10 and 242 pounds. Scott Bowers was the selection there. Um, and he will begin his professional rugby career. Um, he's a hooker, as I mentioned. Uh, here's a quote from Alan Clark. Coach Clarkey, I am delighted to welcome Scott to the Seawolves. We believe he has the potential to develop into a quality hooker in the MLR. We aim to build on the work of all those who have been part of Scott's training to this point, in particular those at Trinity Western University and Pacific Pride. Uh, Scott started playing rugby back when he was 14 years old for United Rugby Club. He then played for Trinity Western University Spartans, various regional and provincial teams, and most recently the Pacific Pride, which is Canada's national development program. Uh, Scott is a noted leader, uh, was the captain of his high school rugby team and the BC champion United Rugby U23 team back in 2018. He also captained multiple games with the Spartans at Trinity Western. While at Trinity Western, his team finished fourth at the Canadian National Championship. And at the time, he was named a second-team All-Star and was recognized as the NSCA Strength and Conditioning All-American Athlete in the year of 2002. Here's what Scott had to say about being drafted. I'm extremely grateful to be selected by Seattle. Uh, they've obviously been one of the most successful teams in the MLR since its inception, and I'm super excited to learn from all the experienced players in the squad. Being drafted is a great honor, but it's just a chance to get my foot in the door. I'm ready to work hard and earn my opportunities. Hey, man, ready to work hard. That's exciting to see. So just a little bit on the Seawolves here. Um, obviously, we're in the offseason. Um, there's this news about Rugby Atlanta moving to Los Angeles. Uh, Miami joined MLR. Um, so Seattle still has a lot of talent. The Seattle still has... I believe most to all of their coaching staff and front office intact. They added Mr. Gleason there. Uh, so there's some young talent in this team as well as some veteran leaders. So it'll be very exciting to see them both mix. And with the, the note about Martin Gleason's attack, that should be really big considering how strong the Seawolves defense, the seawall defense already is. Um, to, to add those wrinkles to the attack uh, and just make this team better. You know, there was some really strong competition across MLR this year, notably against the San Diego Legion, uh, who the Seawolves eventually lost to, to end their year in the postseason. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I might want to talk to Martin Gleason soon um, about that. So we will wrap things up here with the Seattle Star of the Week. And who else? I mean, come on. Who else? Julio... We'll do it a little bit away from the microphone so you don't get that blast in your ear. So here's a warning. Julio! Julio, ex excellent throughout this uh, past stretch here. He had started the year slow. It had been looked at as a down year. And even in his down year, he had been the second player on the team's war list. Uh, still great in center field. You could argue that he could win a gold glove this year. I believe he leads all outfielders and outs above average. Uh, still brings that same smile to the ballpark every single day. Um, and he's really turned things up now. Uh, I've been looking at, you know, hitting the breaking balls better, and he'd been doing that over the course of this past stretch. Um, he had just been named American League Player of the Week as we were recording this, and I wanted to kind of add that in there, but we'll look into that fully next week. Uh, you know, I don't have to record the whole thing again, 
But very, very impressive week for Julio, the face of the Mariners organization uh, now and going forward. Um, and, you know, this this offense goes as Julio goes, you know. So it'll be really impressive to see what sort of things he'll continue to be able to do, not only at the plate, as we talked about, and all this history that he's been able to make um, on the base paths as well, stealing more bases. Um, he's got his 2020 season already, uh, but obviously in the field as well and what he brings to this team with his competitive fire, with his joy, and all that sort of things that we talked about even last year. So... Oops, excuse me. That will wrap things up for this week's episode, August 21st. Excuse me again. Goodness, it's almost lunchtime. August 21st episode of Circling Saddle Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hammaker. It's great to have you with us here. If you want these updates at the time of when they release and more cool stuff like edits uh, and photos and statistics and all this sort of stuff, more videos, Make sure you follow us on the social medias here below, um, as well as once that finally, we've got the Facebook cart going there uh, on CSS Futures as well, where you can get minor league coverage um, and semi-pro coverage of all of the teams here in the city of Seattle. So until we see you next week, when we get to, to are we going to be in, are we going to be in September? No, we will not. I'm, I'm sorry. We will not be in September yet. When we get to the end of August, um, I'll see you then with the end of the Seahawks training. Uh, preseason uh the mariners will be in their homestand by that current point in time um the storm will continue to be looking up uh, wrapping up their regular season the sounders are still trying to get it back into form the rain will continue as well we might get some more cracking stuff i'm unsure about that uh, we might get some more co stuff as well so until we see you next week take care of yourselves be well and do whatever you can to make today a great day Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media. <laughs>